on episode 563 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Corey Yeager and discuss his book, How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 563. you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40 i'm alan meisner i'm an nsam certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change and fitness nutrition a fai certified functional aging specialist and an ota level 2 online trainer I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Did the holidays do a number on your weight loss goals? The parties, the potlucks, the cookies and candies, and eating until you're stuffed. Then it's New Year's Day before we finally decide this is going to be the year, right? You can do this differently this year. With accountability, guidance, and support, you can crush the holidays this year with the Crush the Holidays Challenge. Join us at crushtheholidays.com. Each day for 35 days during the holidays, November 20th through December 24th, I'll be there to help you navigate through this season of eating. You'll get a daily email with guidance and support to keep your health top of mind and eating on track. You'll get accountability from me and a wonderful private Facebook community. This is your year to crush the holidays and go into 2023 ready to rock and roll. Go to crushtheholidays.com and join us. Crushtheholidays.com. Hey, Raz, how are you doing? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. You know, just Good. wrapping up things here. You know, as this is going live, November 8th, uh, my daughter, I guess, got married. You know, we're recording a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm assuming the answer is going to be yes and all the way through the end. And there's not <laughs> of course. an event or something. Um, mm-hmm. So at this point, yeah, we've married off one of our daughters and we should be arriving back into Bocas today nice. and get back to running the bed and breakfast and opening up my studio and, of course, training my online clients. Busy, very busy. Yeah. And then we're just a couple weeks away from launching the Crush uh, the Holidays Challenge. Right. So if you haven't signed up for that, go to crushtheholidays.com. And it's 35 days of coaching uh, with uh, mindset. And we talk about, you know, different things about how we get past the temptations of these eating holidays, this eating season. And so if that's something you've struggled with, you know, putting on a little bit of extra weight during the holidays, I strongly encourage you to come check out that challenge at crushtheholidays.com and, and join the challenge with us. Uh, like I said, there's a Facebook group, there's prizes for participation and uh, a daily lesson about mindset uh, and, of course, accountability because you can pick out partners in the group or, you know, message me in the group um, and just be a part of everybody holding themselves accountable to do just a little bit better which doing just a little bit better is crushing the holidays. Sounds awesome. Sounds like fun. So what are you up to? Uh, you know, I'm exhausted and also exhilarated, probably 50-50. Over the weekend, Mike and I did the Cal Crusher, which was our 30-hour running event. And it was 
a low key event by our run club. So like no pressure to be running for the entire 30 hours. You could go do uh, the loop, which was about five miles and go have breakfast and come back or take a shower, come back. You had the 30 hours to do as many loops as you want. And we had a lot of family and friends up there join us. And the donations from this event go up to one of the uh, research facilities up here in honor of Mike and in research of kidney cancer, which my husband is fighting right now. So the event raised $4,000 for kidney cancer research. So That's awesome. It was fantastic. It was a wonderful weekend. Lots of friends, lots of miles, lots of fun. Yep, and, so. and your family too, you know, I yeah. saw a post by Mike and it's like everybody, everybody mm-hmm. was there and made it a really close knit family affair thing. That's, that's awesome. It was perfect. It was really wonderful to share all this time together. It was fantastic. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, are you ready to have a conversation with Dr. Yeager? Yes. Our guest today is best known for his appearance on Harry and Oprah's The Me You Can't See on Apple TV+. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist at a doctoral level, focusing his therapeutic practice primarily serving the African-American community. He holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree in psychology from the Metropolitan State University, a Master's of Arts degree in psychotherapy from Argosy University, and a PhD in family social science from the University of Minnesota. In his current role as a psychotherapist for the Detroit Pistons, he is working within the merging of his two passions, athletics and therapy. In this role, he supports the overall organization from a systemic and contextual stance. He supports players, coaching staff, and front office leadership in his conscientious, relational fashion. Outside of the NBA, some of his clients include the Oprah Winfrey Network, the Smithsonian Institute, the Gersh Agency, and Lola Red. With no further ado, here's Dr. Corey Yeager. Dr. Yeager, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. I look I am, forward to it. I am too. And for a very good reason is that, you know, your book is called How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself. And every time I have a client that's trying to lose weight, I can tell you 99.9% of the time, we're in our own way to improving ourselves and making ourselves better. And these conversations that you've put in this book, while they seem really simple, is really a way for you to break away from those things. So the negative self-talk, the limiting beliefs, all those are built into this. And it makes sense because you're a performance improvement person. I mean, that's mm-hmm. your primary role right now. Uh, but right. you've been doing this your whole life. I know when you were probably even talking to kids in the schools, it was mm-hmm. this, it was the same conversation that you're having with professional athletes that have been in the league yes. for years. Yep. And so I think as we get into how we're going to fix ourselves, we, we have to start with the head. We have to start with the mindset. Mm-hmm. These, these conversations, as I said, I think are critical for us to have as a part of self-awareness. So as a, as a model yes. of getting better, you have to know where you are. You have to know where you're going, which, you know, like an athlete would know, okay, this yeah. is the level of performance I have to have to make it to the next level or to be able yeah. to win this game against the Lakers or the, you know, <laughs> whoever. Yeah. You know, you got to win that game. You know, you know where you have to be physically for the season. And so you have a direction and then you set some goals for yourself. But then when you get to that self-awareness piece, these are the tools. Make sure you get there. 100%. And you use the term that I think is critically important for the work of this book, but I think in life in general, is becoming more aware of self. 
So self, that introspective space, but also becoming aware of self in the context of others, critically important. Who am I, not just who am I individually, but who am I in these different and different contexts, I think becomes really, really important. And it really is a cornerstone of what the book is all about. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we have this outward projection of what we want people to believe. We have this mm-hmm. inner projection of who we who we believe we are. And both of those can be vastly different from the person that we yes. actually are. And Alan, they can be conflictual. Those two worlds and those two people, if you will, can come into conflict within the self. Who I believe I am and who I think that I am becoming and who others think I am or tell me who they think I am. Those can be conflictual spaces. And the book is about working through that conflict, prioritizing self in the context of others. And all of that starts with knowing myself, becoming more aware of who I am. Yeah. Now you do that with a process called narrative therapy. And obviously asking you these questions, you can imagine that's where we're going to go with. Can you describe what narrative therapy is and why it's so powerful? Yeah, I think there are a multiplicity of ways to approach therapy. The one in which fits best for me and I've found fits best for my therapy, my clients, is narrative therapy. And really what narrative therapy is a way to get people's stories. If you just tell me stories about yourself, that becomes content. And my job is to listen to those content-laden stories and search for a pattern and regurgitate almost, if you will, a process back to you. So narrative therapy is really one of the cornerstones of narrative therapy that I utilize a lot is personifying our issues. So for instance, many times people that are dealing with mental wellness issues almost describe themselves as their issue. I am a depressed person. I am whatever, fill in the blank, as opposed to personifying that problem and putting it outside of you. So, right, you can almost say in narrative therapy, in ways you personify it, if we were talking about anxiety was an issue you were struggling with, I would almost say, let's turn that anxiety into a person. That anxiety comes to visit. And sometimes anxiety can be something that pushes us to be successful, but it can also paralyze us. So how do I approach understanding that anxiety in a way that it comes to visit? But I, just like a person, I can tell it I don't want you here today, right? So finding that ability to be in more control. I think the other piece that I would say about narrative therapy is recognizing that each of us is the expert on our lives. No one else is an expert on my life the way I am. So instead of me as a therapist sitting in a position of all-knowing, we don't know all. I am just learning about you. You are the expert on you. So getting people to understand that they are the expert on their lives, and I am a facilitator of the change they are seeking. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I'm having a conversation with a client, and I don't even really have to tell them what to do. They already know. They, already they, just, know. they have to just be somewhat comforted to know that they have the right answer to start with. And yes. somebody's there that listening and someone cares. This is that process of you being the expert and me facilitating your change. One thing I would say, Alan, about therapy in general with narrative therapy is that if we recognize that we are the experts on our lives, 
and we hope or seek some level or version of change. One of the things that I start off with people, players, everyone that I work with, is asking them, all right, so what does change mean to you? What do you when you say you want to change, what are you seeking to change and what does that mean for you? For instance, in the therapeutic realm, what we describe as change is we describe it in two ways. First and second order change. First order change, and I'm a metaphorical therapist, so I use a lot of metaphors. First order change would be like walking into your home or your apartment and saying, I want to change this. So first order change is saying, I'm going to paint all the walls a different color. I'm going to change all the furniture around and put new pictures up. So if you come into my house and you were there a week ago and I make that change, it'll look quite different. Second order, deeper, more profound change is saying, I'm going to knock the walls down in this apartment or in this house and forever change the structure of my home. That's a level of second order change, which is a much more profound version of change. So I ask people first, before we endeavor upon this work, what change are you seeking? Are you seeking profound, knock the wall down changes? Or are you seeking to just change a few small pieces that will look different, but it will be changed nonetheless? Dr. Yeager, who is the most important person in your life and why? I am the most important person in my life, unquestionably. And that's not being selfish. That is just recognizing that I hold all of the information about who I am and how I came to be where I am. And knowing and understanding that in a way that's not selfish, but that I have to prioritize the importance of me. That doesn't mean that there aren't moments that I choose to put others first, but at the core of who I am, I recognize that as being the most important person in my life. My wife is clearly and keenly important. My children are very, very important. But I say oftentimes to my wife, before I can be a good husband, before I can be a good father, a good therapist, I must first be a good Corey for Corey. That's the beginning, the precipice, the genesis of understanding myself as the most important person in this world. And then that allows for me to show up in this world as a better version of myself, as a better father, as a better husband, as a better therapist, is first starting with knowing who I am and seeing myself as the most important person. Yeah. I kind of look at it from the perspective of if you don't have your own candle lit, you're not going to be able to light someone else's candle with it. So you got to protect your flame. You got to protect your flame. And Alan, it's just like being on a flight. They go through the whole little spill when you get on the flight. If the oxygen level in the cabin drops low, you're going to have the mask that drops down. But what do they tell you? If you're traveling with a child, put your mask on first. Well, why? That seems selfish. No, because if I am fumbling around trying to put my son or daughter's mask on and I pass out, now all of a sudden we're both in trouble. If I can get my mask on first, then I can maneuver and manipulate and support them in a more meaningful way. That's putting myself first. That's not being selfish. Yeah. I was in Puerto Vallarta not long ago, and I landed, and there was an earthquake. And mm. come up to the resort just after the earthquake, and there's a woman, and she's really distraught. And you know, I'm sitting there with her, and I'm like, okay, I can tell you're really upset. You know What's going on? She said, well, when the earthquake happened, we had to leave the building, and my husband could not walk down the stairs. And so she had to leave him and go get help. And she didn't want to leave him. And then they wouldn't let her go back. 
So they sent two men up. He, everything ended up okay, but it was just kind yeah. of one of those moments of, you know, if I don't take care of me, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to take care of her. And yes. in fact, I might actually hurt her. Yes. My wife, that is, yes. in the future, because I put her in that kind of situation. And so, yes. you know, I think as you start looking at this process, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not taking care of anybody. That's right. That's right. And I think we've been sold a bill of goods as human beings that others should always come first. I think that's kind of what we're taught, almost at a level below consciousness. We're almost taught, make sure, don't be selfish. Be selfless and make sure that you put everyone else first. I think that's backwards, right? To your point, that taking care of self is really, in essence, taking care of others. Yeah, it's it's the, uh, you know, we're told, uh, I think the way it goes, we're coming up on that season anyway, is it's better to give than receive. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. a part of that messaging. But the whole point being is I could take a dollar and I could give it to you right now, or I could take that dollar and I can build it up to $10 or $100 or $1,000 and give that to you later. And so it's kind of the making that investment in yourself is only yes. going to benefit you and everybody else. So yeah. you got to make that happen. Yeah. Investing in self is critically important and not something that we're necessarily taught to do. So we have to really endeavor upon a process of being curious with self, what the book is about, being more curious with myself, asking and answering questions that will help me push into better and deeper sensibilities around who I am and how I came to be. Now, a lot of these questions will get very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. You know, yeah, it is good. It is good. You're going to get outside of your comfort zone. And maybe one of the ones I, when I read it, I was like, okay, this is hard one. Mm -hmm. And it's how much time do you spend looking in the mirror? Mm -hmm. Hmm. And that yes. answer that answer's changed for me over the years. You know, there have been times when I didn't want to look in the mirror because I didn't like yeah. who I was. And there have That's been right. times I looked in the mirror and I was very proud of who I was. And it's but it's not yeah. a solid state. It changes based right. on who I am, when I am. Can you talk a it's little bit fluid. about why that's such an important process for us? And like I said, maybe the hardest of all the questions that I went through. I was like, this one's really, really hard. Yeah. So you talked about that comfort or discomfort. I am a big believer, Alan, that any discomfort, pain, instead of it just being pain or discomfort for the sake of discomfort, for the sake of pain, we'll lean away from that because we don't want pain. We don't want discomfort. We want to be comfortable. But if you think back and reflect back throughout your life, some of the moments that were most uncomfortable produced the biggest growth that we have in our lives. So how do we reframe our thinking into a way that says, I'm going to welcome in this discomfort because I know that it's going to produce something. My kids who are all, I'm 6'3", around 300 pounds, depends on the male, maybe 310 if it's a good male. If my and my all my boys were big boys, they would come to me when they're eight, nine, 10, 11 years old and walk into my room and say, Dad, my knees are killing me. So they were having growing pains. So I would say to them, That is an indication that you're growing. You want to be big like dad. Yep. So this pain that you're feeling, this discomfort that you're feeling is solely an indication that you're growing. So it makes it easier to deal with that pain and discomfort. So if we think about engaging in this work of the mirror, 
I don't, it's not that you have to stand in the mirror for hour after hour, but finding the ability to be more comfortable with the person that looks back at you. You said it earlier that sometimes you would avoid the mirror because you weren't happy with the person that was looking back at you. Well, why is that? Because that man in the mirror knows all of you, knows every aspect of who you are, how you came to be. So it's uncomfortable to to engage with that man in the mirror. But if we can find the ability to stand firm and be curious with that man or woman that's in the mirror, we'll learn a heck of a lot about who we are. And once again, the more I can learn about who I am or how I came to be, then I get to show up in the world a better version of myself. So finding that ability to stay in the moment, engage with self, be curious and better understanding of us gives us an opportunity to better ourselves in our social networks. Yeah. You know, the times that I didn't want to look at myself was when I truly not being congruent to the man that I wanted to be. There you go. You know, and so it's a clear indicator if I didn't want to look myself in the eye that I wasn't being me. I was doing things that were contrary to who I should be. Yes. And until I stopped doing those things and started doing the things that were building me to be the man yeah. I should be, that changed a bit. Now, I still haven't spent as much time looking in the mirror as I probably should because uh, yeah. there's still things to fix. I mean, I never finished molding. I'll never finish fixing. Process. But, yeah, it's a process. And so this is a really good tool. Like I said, it'll be uncomfortable. And I agree with you. Everything great takes effort and maybe discomfort. Yes. You know, if you and think this, about it. And this term that you use, I think, is a very important term congruency. That's really what we're seeking in life is the ultimate version of finding ourselves as being successful is moving with a congruent self. That who I think I am, who I seek to be, is that congruent with my actions on a daily basis? If the answer is no, then I have to start to move in a way that says, I want to build that puzzle so the pieces fit together congruently. This is really what we seek in life. And the book, in my hope, is a move towards that congruency. Now, one of the things that I think that's a lot of people apart is that is how they face challenges. And so you have the question, what are the challenges you face in your life? And then you move that forward in that conversation to talk about linchpin problems. Can you kind of walk us through that thought process and how that would work? Yeah. So for me, after football was done and I, the realization was that I wasn't going to be a multimillionaire playing football for the next 20 years, I was kind of lost. So I found a really good friend and that friend was alcohol. So I began to have struggles with alcohol and it would numb me and it would allow me not to engage with who I was or better understand myself. So it became a great friend to me. And that struggle ensued over the next number of years. But once I stopped drinking and and figured out that this was really a big struggle in my life, I got the opportunity to look back and say, man, that was a huge linchpin issue that when we find that linchpin issue, that's that cornerstone struggle that we have. Many times there are a lot of issues that come off of that linchpin. And if we can focus and fix and address that linchpin, we'll find that many other things will start to fall in place. So when I stopped drinking, my finances were in a better place. When I stopped drinking, my relationship with my wife got much better. My ability to be there for my family and my kids improved drastically. 
So all of those issues improved off of that linchpin issue. So asking our, so what is my biggest challenge and better understanding that challenge may then allow for a number of things to fix themselves in my life if I address that linchpin. So this is, once again, a critically important endeavor, but not easy. So the book is really simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy work. (laughs) If you read the book, it's simple. A 12-year-old can read through the book. It's a very simple But the work that ensues off of the book and the questions and the conversations are challenging. But that's an important thing. We want to be challenged, I hope. And from that challenge, we better ourselves. Nelson Mandela said a quote that I live by. He said, in life, we never lose. We either win or we learn. I think this is extremely important, that if we can reframe our thinking around struggle and say, it's not a loss, I didn't lose, I got an opportunity to learn, and guess what? I'll make more mistakes as I move through life, but the hope is I won't continuously make that same mistake over and over because I learned from it. So seeing the world, reframing some of these challenges, these linchpin issues in such a way that we can take a learn from that it betters us as we move forward. Now, another thing that comes up a lot when I'm training is that people believe or they have a belief about themselves. So I have a client, you know, she, we sit down with a certain weight for her to do a certain exercise. And she says, this is as high as I can go. Mm-hmm. And I just get a smile on my face. I said, give me six <laughs> weeks. <laughs> give me six <laughs> yeah, weeks. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's and right. I, and I see it time and time again. You know, like a client says, she says, I don't believe someone, a woman over 50 can lose weight. I hear those untruths all the time. Yeah. And so it's your question is what untruths are you telling yourself about your current existence? Why do we have so much trouble seeing outside of our own lives? Well, I think that kind of our upbringing may set us up to struggle to see outside of ourselves really in a profound and deep way. And one way in which to cope with that is to tell ourselves lies, to tell ourselves untruths. I mean, if you tell an untruth enough, you can convince yourself that it is now a truth. So there was a philosopher, an existentialist that really talked about what is the existence of why am I here? What is life about? His name is Jean-Paul Sartre. And Sartre worked on something that I utilize a lot and talk about a lot that's connected to this untruth. And it was a concept that he coined called bad faith saying that we can tell ourselves these untrue stories over and over in a way that helps us kind of manage and manipulate life. So for instance, if you're working at a job that you absolutely hate, you'll tell yourself the story that there's no other option. I've got to keep doing this job. I absolutely hate it, but it's how I pay my bills and my mortgage payment and whatever it is. So we tell ourselves a story that we know deep down is not true, but it allows me to manage and manipulate through the day-to-day process. But it's not true. So can we challenge ourselves and start to uncover and discover what are these untruths that I'm telling myself? If you sit with yourself enough and say, so what lies am I telling to myself? You'll have answers to that question. Now, the process really says, okay, now I'm aware of it. We have a choice. We can keep making those untrue statements and say, it's almost like the matrix. Which pill do you want? I want to tell myself the lies, and that's what I want. Then I'll stay there. But if I take the other pill, 
I will uncover all kinds of options that I didn't necessarily think about or didn't really want to uncover, but now they're here. Now the truths are going to be able to battle with the untruths. And guess what? I can make some different choices now. That doesn't mean we always will. I may stick with the bad choices. But now it's not from a space of unconscious or subconscious movement. It's now into the consciousness. And what does that mean? It means now I can start to battle with cognitive dissonance. Now I have a battle that ensues about that new information enters, new truths enter my thinking. And now I get to say, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. What am I going to now do about it? Am I going to choose to keep down that same lane or am I going to move in a different way? Now you have some options. And that's what we really hope for in life. The more we want a multiplicity of options. And that's what the book is hoping to point out, that we do have options. It starts with awareness and then we get to do something about those no new options. Yeah. I kind of look at it and you even talked about, you know, you being your own best friend a little bit in the book, but it was a, mm-hmm. it's this concept of if your friend told you she's just not going to be able to lose this weight, you would not tell her you're absolutely right. You're over 50. You're not going to lose the weight. Um, no. <laughs> you're going to turn around and say, yeah, you can, you're, you're going to be yes. the biggest cheerleader for that person. And so if you That's find right. yourself saying something that you wouldn't say to your own best friend, that's probably a part of the cognitive distance that's going on in your brain right now. So, Alan, you point out something that's really important. So we have this concept of self-talk. We're always having conversations with ourselves. So as I'm talking, Alan, you're talking to yourself right now. What question am I going to ask next? Do I believe what he said on this, that? The conversation uh, I do. Is always- I, abs- I absolutely do. Just for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this self-talk is continuously occurring. But if we tune in and become more deeply aware of the self-talk, we may start to say, man, I'm really negative with myself. I didn't realize I was even doing it. So if we start to think about personifying this self-talk, this negative tape that can be playing over and over in our heads, and if we take those negative thoughts and tell ourselves, if I had my best friend take that tape of negativity and spew it back to me and say all those negative things back to me, would I remain friends with them? The answer is easily no. (laughs) No, I wouldn't remain friends with you if that's all you were doing was telling me these negative stories over and over. But we're doing that to ourselves over and over, Alan. So if we can better frame this, this understanding in such a way that says, I don't want that negativity over and over in my head, the first step of that is being aware that it's even occurring. The next step is moving that negative conversation into a more positive space, that I'm okay, I'm going to make it through this. Every struggle that I've had in my life, I've made it through to this point because I'm here and I'll make it through whatever this struggle is. Now I've changed that tape. I took that negative tape out and replaced it with a positive tape. Now I get to move in this world in a more positive fashion every day. And if that positive tape is playing, the chances that my outcomes in life are positive increase exponentially. So that's really what this self-talk is about and how do we frame it and understand it in a way that we can move it as opposed to just having it be unconscious and playing negative thoughts all the time. Now, I think for a lot of us, well, every one of us, <laughs> change is scary, change is uncomfortable, and we've talked about a lot about discomfort, 
but everybody kind of wants to change and they basically start cataloging what, what you know, if you could change anything, what would you change about yourself, about your environment, about your job, about your relationships? Every one of us will probably be able to list three or four things about just about every one of those. Um, mm-hmm. But you asked the question, what do you most hope to change in your life? Can you talk mm-hmm. about the significance of that question? Yeah. So again, I think to your point, there's tons of things that we would like to change. You know, I want to change my wardrobe. I want. I mean, there's a ton of things we can fill in the blank ad nauseum about the things that we want to change. But the work that I'm discussing in the book is saying, all right, so what is the most profound, biggest thing that I hope to change in my life? Because I think too often we get caught up in trying to address everything all in one moment. I just want to get everything better. In the, but does it work? And then we get consumed with and overwhelmed with trying to do too much. So there's an African proverb that says, how do you eat an elephant? Well, the answer is one bite at a time. So this question of what do you hope to change most is taking the bite out of whatever that struggle that you're having not trying to address every struggle and change every aspect of my life, but prioritizing what it is that I see as the struggle of the challenge that is most pressing for me. Then I get to go about taking a bite out of that and working to change that, as opposed to trying to be overwhelmed with addressing all of these issues at once. And what we'll do when it feels like it's overwhelming, we end up doing nothing. Right. I coach football and I coach offensive line. And one of the things that I tell offensive linemen, you have two guys that are coming at you. What a guy will tend to do is try to block both of them. When when you try to block them both, you end up blocking neither. So it's connected to change and what we prioritize. Pick one thing, stick with that, work through that process. And that becomes a win when I can work through that process. All of a sudden, I had one small win. And if I can have one small win, I now convince myself that I can have two wins. And those two wins can turn to four wins. So all of a sudden, I get to change and build upon that one bite-sized approach to change. And I think that's really my work is to help facilitate the change process. I'm not going to change your life, but I'll help you facilitate your own process. Yeah, you have to be willing and yes. put in the effort to make that change. And That's these right. questions, like I said, they're just a really deep dive into who you are and helping you build a plan for, and find the things that you need to change to be congruent, to be who you're supposed to be. So it's a great, great tool. Dr. Yeager, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Mm. Three, you're going to make me narrow it down to three. Huh? I'm going to struggle, but, but I'll, no, remember, I'll remember to, what you just said. What's the big thing? What's the, you know, yes, so there, you, you go, yeah. there you go. <laughs> prioritization, prioritization. Exactly. So I think a couple of the most simple ones are, you know, even starting off with your sleeping pattern. How well do you sleep? Getting good sleep matters. That if I get a good night's rest, I wake up more refreshed and find the opportunity to face the day in a more positive nature, just from the very beginning. So I think getting good sleep is a cornerstone one that's very simple. I think another one that we must develop is budgeting our energy. 
that I only have a finite amount of energy. So I can't give it all away all the time. And that's not being selfish. That's just using a budget, a process of budgeting my energy. Where do I choose to give this energy? Why am I choosing to give this energy to this project or this person? But it has to be in a fashion that we budget it because it's not endless. So where am I giving my energy and why? I think is an important piece. Journaling is another thing. Finding the ability, the research tells us if I have a struggle, a couple of ways that I can address that struggle are talking to someone, telling them what my struggles are, and then journaling. And both of those processes are ways in which we can get that negativity out. It's all bottled up inside of us. What we hope to do is get it out. So if I come to you, Alan, and I'm seeking help and support, you're not going to be able to fix my issues. But if I trust that you'll listen and hear me and allow me to spew this out, I'll walk out of that session or that conversation feeling lighter. You didn't fix it, but I got to talk about it. I got to relieve pressure around that issue. So finding the ability to journal or talk to others, I think, is extremely important. We have to give ourselves grace as well, Alan. We do well as human beings giving people around us grace. If you mess up or do something I don't like, I'll say, no, Alan, don't worry about it. It's okay. But we won't take that same notion with ourselves to tell ourselves, it's okay. I struggled with that, but I'm going to keep moving. In life, we must be rivers, not ponds. A river is ever moving, ever regenerating itself. A pond can become very stagnant. So we want to keep moving, finding the ability to keep moving. Last couple that I'll hit on, and I know it's more than three, I apologize already. (laughs) How do we find the ability to stay in this moment? The only true thing that we have in this world is the current moment that we reside in. What happened 10 minutes ago is gone forever, never to return. What will happen 10 minutes from now, Alan, is yet to be seen. But this moment, we know we have. So how do we find the ability to stay in the current moment, practice gratitude? I'm happy and thankful for all that I have that has got me to where I am in this moment. And lastly, do we have the ability to focus and have an internal locus of control? That control is important, but not nearly as important of knowing that I own and control who I am and how I'll move in this world. So being clear on the control mechanisms and controlling the controllable things that we can and not being as worried about those things outside of our control where we tend to dump a lot of energy and we don't impact it. We can't move it, but we dump energy into it and it doesn't change anything. So use that energy to control the things that you can control. That's an internal locus of control. So I know I gave you like seven, and I know you asked for three, (laughs) but I tried to That's all right. You got a whole (laughs) offensive line coming at me. It's worth it. (laughs) You know, we do need to journal because we can't beat people up on the football field anymore. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We don't have that outlet any longer. So journaling is the new, the second best. (laughs) All right. Thank you for that. So, uh, Dr. Yeager, if someone wanted to learn more about you and the things you're doing and your book, How Am I Doing? Where would you like for me to send them? So, you can really, if you Google Dr. Corey Yeager or go through any of the social media outlets, Instagram, Facebook, Dr. Corey Yeager, 
Google my name. The book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of the major book outlets. You'll be able to find it at your local bookstore, community-based bookstore. So it'll kind of be everywhere. If you Google Dr. Corey Yeager, you'll find me everywhere. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Hey, I appreciate it, man. It was a fun conversation, Alan. Thanks. Me too. Thank you. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. You know, I could have listened to you guys talk for probably a couple more hours about different questions to ask. I mean, you guys picked some doozies about self-talk and being self-aware and all these wonderful things. Very useful. Well, you know, for one, I was able to cherry pick 40 questions, the ones that I thought <laughs> would, would actually be the most relevant to the show overall. But that sure. said, you know, it's that self-awareness that is tripping mm-hmm. all of us up. And there are different ways to get to self-awareness. And, you know, like I have the the quiz, what's your health blocker quiz? So you can go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash quiz and take that quiz. And it's a really Mm -hmm. simple little tool, puts you in one of five categories uh, for what's blocking you the most. And so there's tools, but this book Mm -hmm. is kind of like, I'm just swimming in the top little bit of two feet of water and he's down into the deep, deep depths, you know? Oh, wow. Um, And so this is like the deep dive into who you are all the way Mm -hmm. down to your soul. And so when he he asked the question, you're asking questions like, what are the lies that I tell myself or, yes, you know, what brings me the most joy in my mm-hmm. life? And initially you might just throw out an answer, you know, and then mm-hmm. you start diving into it a little bit deeper. You're like, okay, I'm not being authentic. I'm not living the life that I should be living based on who I'm supposed to be because, you know, mm-hmm. most of us will have this self-image. And part of the time, and it's also a major reason why we struggle with our health and fitness is we're not living up to that. Right. You know, we have this idea of who we're supposed to be and Mm -hmm. we're not walking the walk. We're not quite there yet. And so this is Mm -hmm. a great opportunity for you to look deep and figure out what are those things Mm -hmm. that are really keeping me away from doing the things that I know would bring me joy and would make my life better and would make Mm -hmm. me a better person because it's in there. It is. It's in there. And you just have to take the time to say, okay, what's there? And why Mm -hmm. is it there? And what can I do about it? And when you really get down to figuring out how you are today, that's initially sounds like a very easy question, but Mm -hmm. it's so, so deep that this is not, you know, we we could have, like you said, literally every question in this book, you could spend a week (laughs) thinking about. Yeah. So you could make this like an annual, you know, 40 weeks out of the year, spend the time going through the question and then spend that week really, really diving deep into yourself. Okay. About what that question means to you. Mm -hmm. And then the better thing, because I'm a very much of an action oriented person, what are you going to do about it? That's right. Well, you know, one of the questions you talked about was showing up for yourself. And you discussed, you know, if you had a friend that said, oh, I can't lose this last few pounds or I can't do this, you would never agree with that. You would tell your friends, sure, you can. You can do that. You can. You would be the encourager. And so why aren't we doing this for ourselves more often? And similarly, kind of in the same vein, you know, as a mother, I used to prepare healthy meals for my kids 
because I wanted my kids to grow up healthy. And sometimes I let that slide for myself, or maybe I don't cook the healthiest foods for my husband, but he does most of the cooking. I'll just tell you that. But, <laughs> but you know, but why doesn't that skill set translate to ourselves when we are so giving and caring for other people? Why can't we do those exact same things for ourselves? That's a good question to ponder and to figure out how to fix that. Yeah. And so, yeah, at the realm where I'm talking, 30,000 feet looking down, you know, mm-hmm. it's just that you are, um, you're a giver and you mm-hmm. want to give to the family and you want to do what's right for your family. And, mm-hmm. and so you are, you're, you're looking at your co-pilots, the people who are in the plane with you and you're spending mm-hmm. more time taking care of them than you are about yourself, forgetting right. that you're all in the same plane. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or car. And, and that's and, important. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, you know, and in some cases with some folks, I know this wasn't the case with you, but the people that are in that car with them aren't supporting them. Mm. They're taking and they're taking. And so you've got yeah. givers and takers. And so there's sometimes mm-hmm. this really bad stuff going on. And that's where these right. deep dives can be very, very good because For you're sure. kind of like, why do I keep doing it? And sometimes you're doing it because that's who you are. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're doing it just because you've been pulled into that and held into that. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand that at a deeper level to ever break through that. Because if the resistance yeah. is there internally and you don't deal with that, you're going to revert. If the resistance is external and mm-hmm. you don't deal with that, you're going to be fighting that battle all the mm-hmm. time. So it's really important to get in there and understand yourself and your situation and come to those answers because sure. it's not a simple, oh, I, well, I just need to stop doing this. It should, but it can't. It won't. <laughs> but it's, it's not always that obvious too, Alan. You know, we may not recognize the people that are sabotaging what we're trying to accomplish. Some, you know, like you said, if it's not us sabotaging ourselves, we may not recognize those situations. So having this list of questions like Dr. Yeager put together in his book, it might be really beneficial just to sit down and give some of them a a little bit of a thought process. Yeah. If you're not where you want to be in the self-awareness area, this Mm -hmm. is a great book to walk you through it. It's, It's basically, if you hired him, at probably something that's going to be well into the big hundreds of dollars an hour for him to listen mm-hmm. to you talk. These are the <laughs> questions that he would ask. These are the big questions that you'd go wow. into a session and he might spend several sessions really pulling out of you the real answer to this question. And he does some of that in the book. So if you're someone who's going to wants to do this, I'd say, yeah, go ahead and get the book. Yeah. Uh, it's on Audible. Uh, it's, cool. So, you know, it's on Audible. It's, a, you know, you can ha- get the hardbound book and it's just a journey that you'll take with yourself. You know, I know you're a big fan of journaling as, yeah. a, as am I. And yep. like, buy yourself a journal, listen to audiobook, listen to a chapter and really think through that question and don't stop until you've gotten to the end of the question mm-hmm. and you have an answer. And here's the interesting thing about the human brain is by the time you get to the end of all the questions, if you were to start back at the beginning, you might even have different answers for those questions after you go through this. And in fact, <laughs> you probably should have different answers for those questions mm-hmm. after you've gone through a process like this. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I think I need to get my hand on some of these questions. Well, they're in the book. <laughs> All right. On it. All right. So I'll talk to you next week then. Take care, Alan. You too. Thank you. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss why most people fail at their health and fitness goals. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.